Welcome to Destination Leadership, the podcast for people interested in diving into the worlds of inspiring leaders to learn from them. I'm your host, Katrin Grunwald, founder of The Globe Team, organizational development consultant, and coach for first-time leaders. Today's guest is Isabella Phoenix. Isabella describes herself as mother, wife, friend, activist, board member, and global head of channel enablement and sustainability at Hewlett-Packard. In our conversation, we speak about her leadership experience in all of those aspects of her life. You'll hear recommendations for young leaders called Chessboard, Honest John, and Snakes and Ladders. I really like how these are such exciting cliffhangers. Just like the title I gave to this episode, as Isabella mentioned that one of her strengths is to spot exactly the right people for a job, which she refers to as catching butterflies. Even though you'll hear that the sound of our recording was sometimes not the best, bear with us as it was so exciting to speak with Isabella about leadership from her holistic experience in the corporate, but also NGO and arts world. If you like this episode, let us know via email to katrin at destination-leadership.com or by subscribing to the podcast. Enjoy listening to our conversation. A very warm welcome to this episode with a very special guest that has been highly recommended to me uh, by one of my former coaches, actually, and it's Isabella Phoenix. Welcome to Destination Leadership, Isabella. Thank you so much, Catherine. <laughs> Let's dive right in because from our pre-discussion, I have a ton of lists of topics of really interesting aspects of leadership, I would say, to talk about. So let's hear a bit about yourself. Would you introduce yourself? Of course. So first of all, I'm delighted. Thank you so much for the, the honor to speak on your podcast. <laughs> And a special message um, to Claire Dory for recommending me, which I very much appreciate. She's a very special lady. So first of all, um, I'm Isabella Phoenix. And when I introduce myself, I often say I'm a mother. I'm a wife, I'm a friend, I'm an activist, I'm a board member, and I also head up the global channel capabilities and sustainability at Hewlett Packard. So that's how I tend to introduce myself. Then let's, I, I, I love the order. <laughs> I, I, uh, the, the, let's say the priorities in your life show, I, give me a feeling of that. Also, the, the priorities, even though I know you work many hours a week uh, in your corporate life, we will tackle all those dis different aspects from mother, from activist, from corporate life. And let's start right there because you've been, how long was it? More than 25 years with HP, right? Yep. So I've been with HP 25 years, yes. 25 years. So for SO for seven years before that. I know uh, it's a very large question coming up now, but it would be very interesting to see how would you self see your evolution as a leader also in those 25 years? Let's take our listeners back a bit through your journey. 
I was really thinking about what would be useful for for the listeners. And so what I was thinking about was now I <laughs> I'm not 22 anymore. So if I, I was my 22 year old self, what would I say? And I would really say, first of all, work out what your vision is. Really think about what is your vision. And so I've worked out my vision. My vision is really that I want to help people to fly higher than they knew they ever could and to build a sense of community and to create community. And they are my, it's my guiding North Star. And from that, work out. I spent a lot of time working out what are my values. So really do do that homework with yourself. Work out what your values. And the other thing I learned is over the last 30 years, really work out what your non-negotiables are. So, you know, what are they? Is it that you really don't, you really want to have a career and you want to keep authentic? Is that really important or where are your limits? And that's going to really help you going forward. Um, the other thing I'd say, looking back, the opportunities, say yes. If you get an opportunity, say yes. I went to, I was lucky enough to be um, sent to Paris with ESSO. And I thought I could speak French. And I arrived in France. And I went to the Alliance Francaise and they told me I was less than a debutante. And the next day I was on the phone on the help desk. But, you know, I learned. I learned very, very quickly. So just I would say um, if an opportunity comes up, be brave, be curious. If you get a chance, especially as a young leader, any chance you get, and I know it's hard to move out of your comfort zone and move country, do it. Do it as much as you can, because the more you move out of your comfort, the more you say yes to opportunities, the richer your life will be and your personal life and your corporate life as well. Which brings me back to an important thing that I use that I've used, um, and this is where you heard it in, in my introduction. I am a corporate person. I have been in corporate life. I've worked for Nestle and SO and HP for over 30 years. However, I really go on the five balls of life, and I'm sure Catherine knows the five balls of life. From the CEO of Coca-Cola, where they say, so an important thing are the five balls of life. And for me, this has been a guiding principle. There are five balls, family, friends, spirituality, and health, and work. Family, friends, health, and spirituality, they're made of glass, but work is made of rubber. So that's the one that you can drop. Don't sacrifice the other four for work. Um, as a young leader, that's hard. But I think that if you want to, especially when you look around, especially with COVID and the mental health issues, and I've, I've been privileged to lead organisations, hundreds of people, and the people who are more balanced and have things out of work and in work, they're the people that I've seen who, as a whole, are more maybe complete. I then had 
a couple of things that I did wrong. And I wanted to share it with your listeners, Catherine. Yes, sure. Go ahead. Those are so, really interesting stories to learn from. So a couple of things that um, is, are in my in my first um, in one of my first management roles, I was 26 years old. I was really motivated. I was working out, working every hour God sends. I was in a European role. I love my job. I love my colleagues. And if you did a pie chart, probably the pie chart was 90% HP and 10% outside HP because I was so happy. I had a lady come to work for me and I didn't ask her where she was or what was important in her life. And I expected her to be like me, which is not right. And in fact, this lady had a husband who was very poorly, very, very poorly, and had a very difficult time at home. So she could only give 50%. Now, this lady was brilliant, but sometimes just make sure that you understand the pie chart of the person in front of you. How much can they give and how much do they want to give? And then you will have a much better relationship, especially when you've got a personality like mine that always does their best. Um, some people just aren't like that, but they're still great. Um, the other thing that I would say as, as you're a manager and as you get leadership roles, this is a very simple thing, but especially now when we're remote, when we're all working remote, um, I had the situation of I was, I was managing a team, a remote team, and I didn't realize that my weekly meeting with my employees was so important to them. So one day I had my weekly meeting, but I was really busy and I didn't have a time to talk. And I just was very, very short and I put the phone down. Now, luckily, this person was very, very wise. And she phoned me up the next day and she explained, look, Isabella, I speak to you one hour a week where I've got my fixed time. When you come to that call and you're not with me, it makes me feel really bad. So now, whenever someone rings or I have an appointment, I'm with that person 100%. I don't dual task and I'm with that. It might be shorter, 10 minutes, but I'm very mindful. So that's especially when we're working remotely. Katrin, it's a very simple thing. But just think that that other person is waiting to speak to you and have the respect. And I didn't have the respect for that person yeah it's um, a great lesson to learn because it's i always see it as um you invest energy in a conversation with someone so it's better to like you said have a shorter but full energy rather than longer meeting and you're only there 60 percent of your mental energy exactly um i've got two other quick ones one i've called yeah. chessboard and the other one's called honest john so on chessboard um you corporate life's a chess game you've got to work it out you've got to work out where is the influence how does it work now I didn't realize I did it um maybe naturally but you've got to understand who are the influencers so I spent a lot of time talking to people who who um so for example there there was a program that we were rolling out 
And I had spoken to all the senior managers to roll out the program. They'd all said yes, and I thought it was going to work. However, what I hadn't understood was, in fact, in a couple of the with the major stakeholders, it was actually their number two that was more powerful or had a big influence. And I hadn't worked out the powers of influence. And so that's another thing that work out your chessboard for your um, for for every project you do. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. the last thing is, sorry, go on. No, no, it's I was just reflecting on also based on my corporate experience. And I was thinking, how is that in smaller organizations I work with? But I would say it's really especially important for listeners in the corporate environment to have a clear stakeholder map or like you say, a chessboard. And I, I really like this image. Um, and then uh, honest John, as you go up the ladder, people are less honest with you and they tell you what you want to hear. So two things here. First of all, I've been really blessed where I've had some very wise counsel, let's say in HP, who they will really tell me what's going on. And And when something's going on and I need to know, even if it's hard, I go to these people and they're called the Honest Johns. In my, in my world. Now, the other thing as a young leader, I was the honest John to a couple of very senior people. And those very senior people trusted me. So if you can get to be the honest John of a senior executive, that is a really honorary position to be. And well, then there's one last thing that I'd like to talk about, and that's called snakes and ladders. And I know I said I, I, I had four, but this one is really important. In the corporate life, you mustn't take things personally. And what I mean by that is the corporate life, sometimes you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so suddenly in England, or maybe let me explain, in, in England, we have a game called Snakes and Ladders. And it's a board game. And as you go along, you either go up a ladder or down a snake. And suddenly you find yourself in a very senior position. And then you don't know why you're either asked to leave the organization or something goes wrong. The one important thing that I'd say is it's normal. Don't take it personally when the, when you go down the snake. And as long as you've built up your personality with your vision, your values, your five balls, you're going to be fine, but just it can be really hard. But corporate life is snakes and ladders, and just look after yourself. What were things, Isabella, that helped you navigate through the um, the ladders and also the snakes? Did you have mentors or people you looked up for with regards to their leadership style, for example? Um, I think. I think what I've been really lucky is that people have come to ask me to do roles when they needed sorting out, when something had to be built. And I I established myself as somebody that can make it happen. And that was, and so when it came to navigating the snakes and the ladders, I did what I've just said. I really identified 
Who were the people who would stop it? Who were the blockers? Who were the supporters? I made sure that we had a very clear management of change. So what, what we mean by that is whenever you have a project, you think about all your stakeholders and you have to think about what information they would need at a certain time. And I think as well, I've been very supported. I've just been very supported by the people that I've worked with. They've just been generally, 95% of them have been amazing. Yeah. And they have been across different countries. So you've been leading also some very international teams. What is it there from your experience or also your lessons learned with regards to leading international teams? Um, or let's let's talk about teams in general that are of difference, like functional teams or um, direct teams, international teams. What would you say were your biggest lessons learned there as a leader? I think there's something across all these teams, and I think it is respect. I really, I know everyone says it, but I really do think it's about respect. And I think it's about listening to the quiet ones. And what <laughs> um, I'm very, there are often the very brilliant ones, and I'm very good at spotting the brilliant ones and then giving them a voice. And for me, whether I've had, I've been in roles where I've had 80 people directly reporting or 80 people indirectly reporting, and I don't really treat it any differently. It's still about putting in a framework, putting in goals, putting in metrics, making sure you support the people, the team to succeed. And so for me, the um, that is whether they're indirect or direct or functional teams. I, for, for me, I know some people need to be the manager to feel they've got authority, but for me personally, I didn't. Um, and then I've, uh, I looked after um, Middle East, Africa. Um, I've had U European roles, and then I had the absolute pleasure of heading up the Middle East and Africa org organization. And there again, I would say that there's definitely things you have to you have to respect so for example i arrived in saudi and as i arrive in saudi mohammed who is the the marketing manager came to me and said um well, on the phone and said isabella i'm a muslim you can't touch me and i said absolutely fine so there are certain rules but in saudi it was very interesting because On one side, I had Mohammed saying he, he couldn't touch me, which is absolutely fine. But then in Saudi as well, you have a lot of Saudis that have been outside of Saudi. And so when they meet you, they want to give you a hug and give you two kisses. So you have to very quickly work out what type of person's in front of you because you don't want to be offensive to either of them. Um, I think that's very important to understand. There are cultural things you need to understand. For example, in Nigeria, understanding the tribes, if someone's an Ubu, for example, is very important. Um, as well, I think in um, learning the different, the different holidays in the countries, whether it's um, Ramadan or whether it's um, Hanukkah, respecting those holidays, I think that's very important as well. And I think it's just having an appreciation of the different cultures. 
Yeah. That's something I also saw uh, when I was working at Airbus because we had four main countries and appreciating knowing when there was a holiday in Spain, for example, knowing the colleagues were off uh, or talking, wishing them a happy holiday. Um, just I found put a layer of understanding and respect from both sides because people felt appreciated. Exactly, exactly. How is it... Um, With regards to a recent project that you told me about, uh, uh, that you ran at HP in a very short amount of time, uh, I, I would love for you to share that because I, I think it's A, an amazing project and B, just to see, let's say, behind the scenes, what helped you to manage this project uh, with so many people. Thank you, Kathleen. This is, um, I think this is probably one of the most exciting things. Um, I think this is my third child. Um, so I was, uh, I was, as you've heard, I'm very interested, I've said I'm an activist, but I'm very interested in women's rights, in working with kids with special needs, with refugees, I'm involved in different boards. Um, so I was absolutely delighted when HP asked me last November to lead what they were calling Amplify Impact. And let me explain. We've got a wonderful chief operating officer called Christoph Schell, and he announced in November 2020 that we were launching the program called Amplify Impact, which was a sustainability program for our business partners. So we have in HP 20,000 business partners in 170 countries. Now, a lot of corporations have sustainability programs for the suppliers because it makes a lot of sense. If the supplier doesn't meet your guidelines, you just don't buy them. But very few corporations have a sustainability program for their business partners. So we, we had uh, 10 weeks to set up a worldwide sustainability program. So We had a very strong design team who was made from business people and the sustainability. We decided what we would do would be, we couldn't launch it to the whole world. So we decided to only launch Amplify Impact in 19 countries. And what we did was that we, what happened with HP, we discovered that HP has been doing sustainability for the last 80 years and had amazing assets amazing trainings, amazing, amazing programs, um, recycling. So what we did was that we decided, well, why don't we leverage what we've got and make it available to our partners? So we created Amplify Impact and what the partner has to do, the partner signs the pledge, they do an assessment, so they work out where they are on the sustainability plan on their sustainability, and then we support them to become more sustainable. So at the moment, we are very excited. Um, we've got over a thousand partners that have signed the pledge, and we've got over a hundred partners that are going to come and do the sustainability plan journey with us. But we it was an organization, it was a multi-country, multifunctional organization, and it was a situation where we had to very much motivate. Everybody was doing this job on top of their normal job. 
And I was just so passionate. And I had a couple of people who were very, very passionate. We worked really hard. We listened, we learned, we collaborated, and we delivered the program on February the 11th. This is, when you told me about it, what I really appreciated was this coming together for a certain cause. And I think this is something happening in corporates more and more that, like you said, people do things on top of their normal jobs for certain projects, for certain causes, such as sustainability, and adding this elements of speed of setting that up for the 19 countries in just 10 weeks makes me very curious really to see what were your lessons learned what were things that you explicitly or maybe unconsciously also put in place so that people could gather form as a team and deliver within that short amount of time i think what we did if i'm we We put, well, I think the first thing we did was we listened, okay? We actually went to the experts and we listened. We then found the best people we could to put in the design team. Um, and I think so listening, finding the best people. And then there's also a lot of... Um, I think, I think there is a whole thing about leadership in terms of people could see how motivated we were. And by leading, leading the, by showing the way that the project should be done, I hope that I motivated people to, to, to come into the project. And the other thing is really spotting who could help us. So For example, we announced the program to everybody. Some people phoned up and said, we want to be involved. And I knew the key people who would be. So there was one lady who said straight away, I want to lead this in my organization. She's come into the team and she's been amazing. So I think it's spotting the right people, spotting the right programs. Really, as I've said, it's catching the right butterflies. And because we did have a really good framework, we had really good leadership, we had great expertise, we could then catch the best people, the best processes to make it happen. That's what I'd say. That's great. Catching the best butterflies. I will think that now when it comes to <laughs> setting up teams and spotting the right people for a team. Let's move, Isabella, from your um, corporate experience to all the other roles that you mentioned also in your self-introduction so mother activist and let's start actually with mother because you mentioned now your third baby with the Amplify Impact program let's look at the other two and how it was for you to build really this yeah this amazing career and be a mother so on being a mother I'd say um whenever you see a successful woman there's oft there's always a good reason <laughs> there's, and what I mean by that is they've either got a really good nanny they've got a really good mother or they've got a supportive husband they've put so what I'm saying here is so the reason I was able to spend so much time at work was I had the most amazing nanny for my children for 10 years and she was the co-parent I've got the most wonderful husband 
who worked at home and he could support. So there's no mystery. I'm not this amazing person. I just had amazing support. And I think as a woman, or even as a man, because a lot of men as well, making sure you've got the right support network behind you is really important. Um, I think as well, the one thing I'd, uh, there is one thing, I mean, you can talk about mothering and careers for a lot, but I would just say one thing to the parents out there is it's not quantity, it's quality. So what I mean by that is your time is limited, but just make sure that you're there at the key times, at award ceremonies, at parents' evening. Um, I am. I love swimming. I was there every Thursday for four years at two o'clock, from two o'clock till three o'clock to do the swimming with my with both of my children. The other mothers didn't even know that I worked. But just, I think that's really important. And that's the one thing, you know, outsource when you don't need to be there. The cooking, the driving around. Now, driving around can be really great for talking to the children because they don't look at you. So don't give up all the driving. But outsource everything that you don't need to do. The shopping, outsource it. You don't need to do that. But you just focus on the on on that part. Um, and the other thing is, think before you sacrifice. And what I mean by that is, I always felt guilty being a mother and working, and I used to travel a lot. And there were some times where I had fantastic opportunities traveling and then I'd give them up because I thought I had to go home and see my children but when I got home my children weren't really bothered if I was there on that time so don't beat yourself up and I'm not saying travel all the time and have a wonderful time but sometimes you can like I did swim with dolphins in 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 um in Martinique and I did give me give myself that but just treat yourself um and also, it's very interesting. I often say to Zoe and Nico, my children, you know, are you okay that I worked? And they said, yeah, abs- they, they, they actually were pleased that I was, I was working. So don't feel guilty. Yeah, great, great to hear the suggestions about um, it's about quality, not quantity. And I'm sure that goes out to many, um, also young parents who are listening yeah. to this. Yeah. With regards to corporate motherhood let's move to activism because i know there are certain causes you already mentioned them that you're really interested about and that you sit on the boards of different ngos so um moving well let's say leading in, in a corporate environment and also then leading in a rather um ngo environment i assume or i also know from my own experience are, are different worlds so what i would be curious in is how you connect the worlds or what is it you take from one world and maybe try out in the other? How, how do you navigate them? Um, I think I really do navigate them. I really do think that I bring into the corporate world a lot of awareness about human rights and, and different types of gender. And I'm very aware And I think people know, and that's why I got asked to do the Amplify. And then I'm also involved in the NGO world. I know that I bring structure and ideas and creativity. And one thing as well to everyone on the phone, we've we've all got a great network. My network is open book. 
And so if I'm in LinkedIn and if I can help someone, I do it. And that's really, really important. But just a top tip. I when I was looking because I really wanted to balance my career with um, active activism or being involved in NGOs. When you're selecting your NGO to be involved in, if I may suggest, there are three criteria that I use now. And I would really, really recommend that you all do as well before you spend hours trying to help an organization that doesn't go anywhere. You want an organization that's got a vision. A lot of the NGOs do have a vision. So they have a charismatic leader. And I've been seduced by a lot of charismatic leaders. But there are two things that if you really want to be um, make them successful, they have to have some money or source of money. And they need to have organizational brilliance or the willingness to learn. If you don't have money and you don't have process and organization and just a vision, it doesn't go anywhere. So they would be my, that's what I think for my organization, that, that's what I, um, which would then bring me on to my husband's organization. Husband that company. exactly <laughs> would have been the next topic to talk about. <laughs> because um, also, again, from a team developer perspective, what an interesting setup. So you work together with your husband also, again, for many, many years in the organization Architects of Air. Tell us about that. So Architects of Air is a wonderful organization. It's an arts organization. And we... Um, we build luminariums and luminariums are large scale sculptures that you go inside for an experience of color. We've been going 30 years. We've traveled to over, I think over 54 countries to different art festivals, um, to different art festivals, to different launches, to different museum openings. And I'm really proud of I'm a co-founder of Architects of Air, but um, I'm really proud of what my husband, Alan Parkinson, who is a creator of Luminariums, has created. He's created an organization where the majority of people have worked for us for 20 years, which is a long time in an arts company. Only this year, because of COVID, has he ever got any funding. Um, and what he's done is he's created a company where he's managed to find the most amazing people in the world who come and work for him. And they've all got this whole, the very strong values of collaboration, artistic inspiration, teamwork. And we send our what we call luminarium managers around the world there's only two of them that turn up anywhere in the world with a luminarium which is a thousand meter sculpture and they work it out from setting it up to working from the press to leading the teams and this these team of people I think it comes down to Alan's talent for spotting wonderful people so that's just been um it's yeah it's and it's very interesting as well. The other thing that working with architects about, I've been in the corporate life where I've always had you have to grow, you have to grow. And with architects of air, Alan, it's all about you know, 
I just want to put my sculptures in beautiful places and cover costs. And that's been really, really important um, because it's just a different way of thinking. And I think being involved with a small company, it's a small arts company, um, it's just really helped me in my business life as well because when I'm having to do run a program for small, medium businesses, I know what it means. It can be a lot to buy three PCs for Architects of Air. It's a big investment. So I think for the young leaders on the phone, do get involved with smaller companies because as even in you're in the corporate world, it helps you understand your customers if you're going into that world. So um yeah, Architects of Air has been yeah, has been has brought me infinite joy. And we will and definitely it, put the up, link. Yes, up, I was going to say, oh, we'll definitely put the, the <laughs> link in the show notes. So that was the little advertising part. Yeah. <laughs> what I found really, it sounds like both you and your husband are good, let's say, butterfly spotters. So spotting yeah. the right people that you want to have on board with the right mindset, with the right, well, skills also that you need. Um, what... I am curious about is working with your husband because I know there are many, let's say, companies based uh, or where couples um, form the the leadership team of a company. How was it for you both um, to run it for over thirty years? Are there were there any different challenges? Was it always a smooth ride? And mm -hmm. how could you separate being a couple from being, let's say, working partners at Architects of Air? Um. So I have to be, uh, I'm, my role in Architects of Air is very much strategic, very much consultancy. I'm not so much in the day-to-day -day running because I can't have my job in HK and do it, but I have been deeply involved in it. Um, so I just want to put that, yes. we have a general manager, so don't think that I can, nobody can do that. I just want to give. <laughs> There's not know. that many hours of the day. <laughs> no, however, I think there's a couple of things which is really interesting. My husband's not a corporate person at all. My husband's a bear. He doesn't, he's very reserved. So I think there's an awful amount of respect between us. And I think that helps us work together. And also when I, I remember when I was talking to him initially, I was asking him what his strategy was, what are his objectives were, what his metrics were. And he wouldn't really talk to me because he's told me that's rubbish business language. I'm not interested. However, when I said, but what do you want to do and how are you going to do it and how will we know when we get it? He was absolutely fine. So I think one of the way that we've worked, learned to work together is um, I've changed my language to make sure that what I can help, um, uh, it, it adds value. I think as well, knowing when I can really add value um, and not wanting to impose myself because I, that's one thing as well, respecting, um, respecting what Alan does and what the company does. Um, and then how does it work? Yeah, I think it's, um, we actually book meetings. Oh, we actually will, we'll actually say if we've got a topic, we'll actually say, okay, Saturday morning, let's put down 11 to 12. And we actually, so we do, if we have to sort something out, we'll book a meeting. That's been very useful. But I think we talk about architects of air at all the, it's kind of just part of our life, you know, it's uh, it's just 
So we've got a wonderful situation. We've got a young man in Canada, in, in America, who's autistic, who's um, communicating with Alan at the moment. So these types of joyous things are happening as well. So yeah, it's. Um, I think it's all about respecting each other and and the work he does. He's so talented. He's so talented. We'll definitely put the link in the show notes so people can have a look. In I was blown away when I saw the pictures, and I can't wait to walk in an illuminarium one day. Um, coming to towards the end of our conversation, before I ask uh, a last question that I always ask um, the people I invite to the podcast: Is there anything else, maybe also from your preparation, where you'd say, "Oh, I'd love to share one more story or one more lessons learned." Yeah, I would say um, a couple. Of, I just want to say one thing is start building up your network as soon as you can. LinkedIn, start linking in with people. Uh, you never know who can help who. And I'd also like to talk about an organization called Inspired Women Lead. And Inspired Women Lead is a really lovely organization started by Bonnie Fascio. And It's a mentoring organization where, I'm sorry, gentlemen, it's for women, but it's, um, you basically get nominated for the court for, to be in Inspired Women Lead, Lead. You are mentored for six months and then you mentor someone else for six months. And that was just a wonderful networking. It's, it's free. And if anyone's interested, um Katrine will give will give you my contact details and I can um and we can have a discussion on that one so uh yeah and that's just inspired women lead is something that I think is a nice uh, thing that I'd like to share with everybody yeah what a wonderful offer thank you to share that also with the listeners or let's say the female listeners in that case especially <laughs> <laughs> then we, we come to the last question and it's an imaginary one so imagine Isabella that For one day, you have the magical power to make sure that leaders around the world with their team exhibit a specific skill, work with them in a specific way. What would be your wish? I would wish that the team together really get some wonderful aha moments, which they've never thought about but with a bit of laughter. With those words and many aha moments in our conversation, I would like to say thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time in your busy schedule and for yeah, letting us into your world and into your experience. Thank you very much, Isabella. Thank you. This was Destination Leadership, the podcast with inspiring leaders. I'm curious to hear what is it from this interview that you take away that has inspired you. Write to me via Instagram, Twitter, or get in touch via LinkedIn, all under my name, Katrin Grunwald. Also, if you have any feedbacks on the podcast or suggestions of leaders that have left a positive mark on you and you'd like others around the world to hear this inspiration too. I look forward to welcoming you again on the next episode of Destination Leadership.